Hello, I'm Amanda Jezik, IDSA's Senior Vice President for Public Policy and Government Relations. Welcome to IDSA's COVID-19 podcast series that aims to keep IDSA members, medical professionals, and the public informed during this pandemic by talking with experts in the field of infectious diseases. In this episode, we'll be discussing COVID-19 vaccine boosters with emergency medicine physician Dr. Heather Lee Bailey of the Durham VA Medical Center and family medicine physician Dr. Scott Hartman of the University of Rochester Medical Center. Thank you both for joining us today. Dr. Hartman, can you begin by summarizing the most recent booster recommendations? So yes, and I think it's important to make sure that we understand what a booster means. So we want to define a primary vaccine series as different in immunocompetent and immunocompromised children or adults. So the primary vaccine series is two mRNA vaccines for people with an intact immune system, but it's actually three mRNA vaccines if you have, if you're considered immunocompromised. And then a booster is something beyond that. So just to make it less complicated, I would say that for adults with an intact immune system or adolescents, there are two primary mRNA vaccines given either three or four months apart, depending on the brand. And then there's a booster dose five to six months later, you know, now they're saying five months, but then additional booster for adults 50 and up just to make it more confusing. (laughs) And I won't get into immunocompromised yet, but in in terms of that additional primary series, so it's really four, you know, four vaccines total, but two of those are boosters for adults or adolescents with an intact immune system. And then immunocompromised, the mRNA vaccines, there's three initial and then a booster beyond that. So the definition of a booster varies based on the kind of your immune status. So the the thing that's changed recently is that additional booster for adults and adolescents with an intact immune system that are 50 and up to add that second booster or fourth dose. And when you talk about immunocompromised people, who's included in that category, specifically when we're thinking about COVID-19 vaccines for adults and children? We're really, the CDC has some specific recommendations or specific definitions. There are some nuances to that, but this would be children, adults, or uh, children, adolescents, or adults that are on uh, immunocompromising chemotherapy, organ transplant recipients that are on immunosuppressant therapy, and then um, patients on chronic high-dose steroids or patients who are HIV positive that have uncontrolled HIV disease. So not not like suppressed HIV, but with uncontrolled. This pandemic has really shined a light on many longstanding health inequities. Dr. Bailey, can you talk about the COVID-19 vaccine booster recommendations and access to boosters, specifically in that context of health equity and social determinants of health? Early on when vaccines became available, There was definitely some challenges across the country and and certainly across the globe of access to vaccines. It was, you know, having that golden ticket, people who were challenged either by technology, trying to get a vaccine time slot once they were open to the originally the older healthcare workers and then the older population and then it rolled out by age group across the United States. It was very challenging early on to be able to get access to a, a pharmacy or a location that was going to be able to deliver the vaccine. And I know personally of family members, friends, my patients who were not at the VA, 
who were who were had to drive hours sometimes to be able just to receive their first and then their second vaccine to become initially fully vaccinated. But that's not where we are right now, thank goodness. Currently, we have a lot of vaccine availability in the United States. And the bigger challenge really is in encouraging people to now get either the initial vaccine or the booster if they're eligible. And as Dr. Hartman said, the majority, certainly of all adults, are have access to the vaccine 50 and older. And for children who are immunocompromised, I believe you said it's either 12 or 15 and up. So the challenge right now is that obtaining and, and encouraging individuals to go and get the booster. Part of it is COVID right now, while it seems is everywhere, people are less ill. A combination of the virus, current variant that is active is not as severe, which we're very grateful for. And there's a significant number of individuals across the United States. Last count, we are at over 200 million individuals have had their primary vaccine, which is wonderful news. What we need to encourage now is individuals to get that booster and helping them overcome that hesitancy. And the underserved community, I think is a bit more hesitant than most, probably because they may have concerns or doubts about the healthcare system. But as a clinician, it is really our responsibility to help support and educate and promote the benefits of continued boosting, as well as primary vaccination for those who have not. We've made it available. You can get it at almost any pharmacy. Most hospitals have these opportunities. We just need to encourage people to get it. As to how we go about that, I think we involve our communities. We involve our houses of religion. We involve our community centers. We involve our community leaders to encourage everyone to obtain their, their vaccine and then their booster. I can tell you right now, I deal with the ramifications of those who either haven't been vaccinated or haven't been boosted and the numbers of COVID unfortunately are going up, both in individuals who've been vaccinated and boosted, but they fortunately have some mild disease. And I know we'll get to that in a few moments. Hello, my name is Dr. Mati Slachwayo Davis. I'm the associate editor for the COVID Health Equity Resources section of the COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network. The COVID Health Equity Resources section offers a collection of educational and training materials research articles and resources that are curated to help medical professionals and institutions provide equitable COVID-19 care. Check us out at idsociety.org forward slash COVID-19 real-time learning network forward slash COVID health equity resources. Dr. Hartman, do you have anything to add on this issue around health inequities and COVID-19 boosters? As we've talked about in some of our podcasts in the past, there are these the issues with historic racism and mistrust by populations that that justifiably mistrust healthcare providers of the healthcare system because of racial bias in the past. And so we struggle with messaging and, and how to helping populations trust healthcare providers and trust that what we're saying vaccines is true and safe and things like that. And so that happened with vaccine rollout in general and now with boosters as well. And also with language and cultural barriers, especially um, I, 
you know, I'm in an area that has a, a large immigrant and refugee population from multiple places around the world. And how do we message in different languages? There's just as much misinformation in Spanish as there is in English. And there's just as much information in Arabic as well. And, and so we really struggle with that. And messaging about boosters, I think, is even harder because how do we talk about, you know, people could say, well, I got my primary series. I've had two doses of an mRNA vaccine. That's what I need. And, and the reality is that may, they may only have a 70% protection against hospitalization from Omicron. And really, you want to boost that to 95% protection with a third dose of mRNA vaccine, which may be coming for children, as we're hearing soon, too, that, that there may be a third dose at least approved, if not recommended you know, getting around those language and cultural barriers. And I think working with the community organizations has really been a pretty big success in many communities and trusted providers like churches and mosques and temples and things like that and other community-based groups and, and vaccinating in the community, not just in a clinical setting. As you both have been saying, we need to increase the number of people who've gotten their boosters. Dr. Hartman, what more do you think can be done in daily clinical outpatient and primary care settings to help increase the uptake of of COVID-19 boosters? So availability is still something of an issue and that the initial rollout was really about pharmacies and big community programs. And it didn't, in many communities, the vaccine wasn't in primary care, pediatrics, family medicine, internal medicine. And I always have really, I mean, in our community, we really advocated for that, that the small offices and community health centers have vaccine, which fortunately now it's much more common. And so that, you know, kids can really be at a well child visit or a sick visit and get their primary or their booster, whatever they need, as can most adults. But I don't think that's true completely in all communities throughout the U.S. So having the vaccine in multiple locations, which includes primary care, is really critical. And then I would also say, that, again, the misinformation, because only about a third of children under 12 are vaccinated in the U.S., and we really need to get that to way beyond 70 or 80 percent, you know, to truly make this endemic and not pandemic anymore. So there's a lot more education information. I think we need to help parents and families understand that transmission is reduced by eight times for vaccinated kids and hospitalization is reduced by more than 50%. So still a lot of messaging about the importance and the effectiveness and safety of these vaccines. Dr. Bailey, if an individual has been vaccinated and maybe they did get their booster, maybe they're thinking about a second booster, or maybe they haven't gotten a booster yet, when should they be getting a booster? Or in other words, how long do people need to wait between their initial series and their first booster or between their first booster and their second booster? Well, that is a very interesting question. And there are some guidelines on the CDC website because it can be very confusing because how many boosters are we going to need to get? For the second booster, the current recommendation is that you should be at least four months from your first booster, regardless of whether you're immunocompromised or an immunocompetent adult over the age of 50. However, if you've had COVID, that gives you a little bit of immunity, and they're recommending that you should wait at least three months if you've also happened to have a COVID infection. Now, we are seeing more and more individuals just because more individuals have been vaccinated and boosted that are coming down with very mild fortunately, cases of COVID. 
In fact, yesterday in my emergency department, we had many individuals, half of them who were not there because of COVID symptoms. They were there for something else and turned out to also have COVID. So the good news is, is that vaccines and boosters work. What we need to do is now continue to get them into arms so that we can continue to protect the population and hopefully turn COVID into an endemic disease instead of the ongoing pandemic. So if you've had a vaccine and boosted once and have had COVID, it would be at least three months since your COVID infection or at least four months from your booster. So it's at least three to four months after that. Now, there's also recommendation for the immunocompetent individual over 50. And this is where it gets a little tricky, where they say, if you are immunocompetent and you've had your first booster, we recommend getting the second booster. But there's a caveat that has recently been put on the website that says you should look at what's going on in the community. And if you feel that getting a booster now would keep you from getting your second booster or potentially your third booster in the fall and your community uh, variant infection rate is low, then you should probably wait till the fall. So that's an interesting little twist. And I, I think that's a reasonable, potentially reasonable recommendation. We don't have great data, but in areas where the infection rate is low and most likely we all presume, you know, flu tends to come back in the fall. Other viral infections come back in the fall. COVID, unfortunately, we have all year round, but there does seem to be a peak as people go back inside and have closer contact, maybe with or without masks. You know, mask mandates have been removed from most places now that the infection rate will go up. And so it's, I think, a decision that you should be making with your physician. Have that discussion with your clinician is when is the right time to get my second booster? But I think that we all are in agreement, immunity wanes. At some point, everyone should be getting their second booster and certainly by the fall before infection rate starts to climb back up. We know that with the newer variants of Omicron, we're even seeing people who've been vaccinated or previously infected still testing positive for COVID. And Dr. Bailey, you mentioned that many of these people seem to be experiencing less severe symptoms. Is there anything more you can say on that topic or on the vaccine's ability to really protect us against severe disease and hospitalization? Well, yes, I think when you look at the data and the information that we have available, there are many different sites that tell us the trends of both COVID infection, hospitalizations, ICU admissions, and overall deaths. Now, I think the COVID in the community is a little bit tricky right now because so many people are doing home tests and that information is not making it in to the news and other points of social media. So it would probably have more COVID out there than is being documented. But we do know certainly in the Northeast where Dr. Hartman is, the numbers are going up. If you look at the data, we're starting to have a little bit of an, an uptick. The good news is, is right now we have about the fewest number of patients with COVID in the ICU that we have had since the pandemic started. When you look at the data, there was peaks of time during Omicron back in January. At the peak, we had over 26,000 people in the ICU. The peak of Delta Labor Day last year same, about 26,000 people in the ICU on one day across the country. Right now, we're about 2,000, 2,500. That is fabulous news. And I think that speaks to 
the combination of people being vaccinated and boosted, and that this variant seems to be more mild, which is wonderful. But we still have a long way to go. We still only have 220 million Americans that are vaccinated, that are fully vaccinated. We have about a half of that that are boosted. And there's still about another, another 90 plus million who are eligible to be boosted. And with the new recommendations coming out about children, that number is going to dramatically increase, hopefully in the next day or so. When you look at age-wise, older Americans still are at highest risk. The good news is, is per CDC, are Americans over the age of 65, about 90% of them have had their full vaccination. About 70% of them are boosted. So that is great news, but we still need to do better. About 70% of deaths are still occurring in those over the age of 75, even though they may have been vaccinated and boosted. So it doesn't completely protect, but it's so much better. Dr. Hartman mentioned that it was five and I think eight times less likelihood to, as a child to be vaccinated and end up in the hospital. Same for adults. If you are vaccinated, you are 10 times less likely to die. Or if you're unvaccinated, you're 10 times more likely to die than a vaccinated individual, five times more likely to end up in the hospital. And if you've been vaccinated and boosted, compared to the unvaccinated individual, they are 20 times more likely to die than those individuals who've been boosted. So they work. We just need to continue our education, look at ways outside the box to get more people vaccinated and hopefully dispel a lot of the misinformation and distrust that has occurred with this pandemic. Dr. Hartman, do you have anything to add? When clinicians are talking with either children, adolescents, or adults, especially in an outpatient setting, I think it's helpful to sort of stratify people a little bit and think of, so they're truly immunocompromised, like the on chemotherapy, on high-dose steroids. They're adults or, or they're patients with a comorbidity, like diabetes or hypertension. And then there are adults with really none of those things or, or adolescents or kids with none, none of those comorbidities. So the comorbidities put patients at higher risk for severe disease, but are not immunocompromising. That's the category, though. That's also the category that's great for Paxlovid prescriptions <laughs> when they need it, when they test positive. But that category of patients, I think, is the ones that we should really maybe push the booster a little more, like over 50, get that second booster, because those are the patients that may be more at risk. So the immunocompromised clearly need four doses of an mRNA vaccine. But I think the the discussion point and the decision point is a little harder with those adults who have, I keep saying adults and I mean patients, that have had this series and do they need a fourth dose? And, And that's where I think someone with another comorbidity might push us more in the direction of getting that vaccine sooner. Still understanding that thought about the fall and do you wait till the fall? So it's a really tricky discussion there. And then a lot of patients are asking, is there going to be another newer vaccine, like a nucleocapsid mRNA vaccine in the fall, which maybe there will be, but we can't promise that. So I just wanted to add to Dr. Hartman, that was an excellent comment about the comorbidities. And I think that would help if you have some comorbidities such as obesity, diabetes, hypertension, would sway you going towards getting a booster earlier. But I I think the other thing we need to focus on is this has been a very US centric discussion. And there's a wonderful comment on the World Health Organization website that says no one is safe until we're all safe. And COVID is going to continue until we are able to get vaccines into the arms of the entire world. 
And I think that's another area that we can start to focus on is helping our underserved world and countries that have limited access. The data is is very is staggering. We have access in the United States is, is done very well. There are little, low and middle income countries that have less than 10% of their population vaccinated. And I think that's something that we shouldn't forget because while in the United States, we've been very blessed and doing relatively well with COVID at the moment, there are other places in the world that are not. And we need to expand our focus to the world so that we can all get back to whatever the new normal is. At this time, I'd like to thank Drs. Bailey and Hartman for their time, participation, and expertise. For the latest information and resources on the COVID-19 pandemic, visit IDSA's website, idsociety.org, and don't forget to follow us on social media. Tune in next time as another diverse panel of medical experts discusses the latest on COVID-19. I'm Amanda Jessick. The views and opinions expressed here are those of the presenters and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Involvement of CDC should not be viewed as endorsement of any entity or individual involved with the podcast.